So then, let's see what we do precisely in steps about social institutions uh, in, in, in training the young. First of all, it's important to identify a child. The child has got to be someone. And we often say of a child we think is dumb and incompetent, you're never going to amount to anything. You're just going to be unimportant. You're going to be something unnoticed. So a child has to find out the approved way of drawing attention to itself. If a child succeeds in not drawing attention to itself, it won't get fed, for one thing. So the very first yell of a baby is, in a way, uh, a way of getting attention. And that's we, what, we, what we want people to do. But we want a certain kind of way of asking for attention. We don't like it when babies howl and get attention that way. But it gets attention because it's annoying and we want to stop it. So we, we, we fundamentally want people to love us. And we don't believe that they will unless somehow we put them in a situation where they must. So we have all kinds of processes for charming people and eliciting their love. They range, you see, from, first of all, on one end of the spectrum, from being physically attractive. That elicits attention. Another way is to be funny. And people laugh, and they like you having something around that's funny. Another way is to be helpful, to uh, wash the dishes and things like that. And that's, that's good. Uh, another way is to be weird. Only that's a little disconcerting. You have to be careful how you play that one. Or they may put you in a place where you're not seen. <laughs> All the time you're playing this game, of course, everybody else is reacting to it. And they're talking to you, and they're giving you messages about the kind of attention-making scene you're playing. And they, they don't want you to do anything in this game that will discombobulate them. They want you to play it according to certain rules so that they'll know what you'll do next. That's terribly important. People mustn't be too surprising. We, you know, we like things to stay put. We like them to be regular. And if you had a kettle which suddenly developed legs and walked off the stove, you would say it was uncanny and uh, put it in a zoo or something where it would be safe, where it wouldn't do anything uh, further unpredictable. So for the same reason, we have a, a fairly large number of acceptable character roles that people are allowed to play. And you should watch these things very carefully because it's tremendously instructive to figure out what kind of roles your friends are playing. They have, of course, through long, long accustomedness, come to believe that that's who they really are. 
and that when they are playing their role, they are being themselves and being straight and honest. That's an, a deception that's very easily arranged by uh, choosing between a number of roles in early life that you might play. You've got to decide whether you're going to be a serious person or a clown or a whatever, you know. And then you, you behave as if the roles you've discarded were the superficial ones. The one you've decided to play is the deep one, and that's really you. That is soon done in this way. A child uh, notices very early in life that he's a different person in different environments. He is one person in the company of his parents. Sometimes one person with his father and another with his mother. He's another person with a nursemaid. He's another person at school. He's still quite another person, alone with other children. And still someone else when he's by himself. He makes a visit to relatives. I know very well that I was a different personality in my aunt and uncle's home than I was in my own home. Because you respond to the environment, you get uh, very, very subtly delivered cues that certain attitudes are expected of you. And you don't just play these attitudes outwardly in how you speak and gesture. You play them inwardly. You think the thoughts that the other people are suggesting you think. If you listen to your, what you call your own mind very carefully, you will discover that it's full of the echoes of other people's voices. What do I think about this? And you think. But actually, it's your mother talking to you. Or the sort of thing she would say. Or whoever else it may be, someone you admire uh, very much. So, uh, the, the interchange of our, our own behavior... And the messages that come from the environment, and especially from other people, give us the message that identifies us. It tells us who we are. And in this culture, you see, the messages that we get from the social environment do not tell us very many things about ourselves. They do not tell us, above all, about the big secret, how we are connected with the cosmos, because that, in this weaving game, has been left out in the background. Now, I have spoken, obviously, of many of these social institutions in a somewhat, a, a way that will sound critical to you, as if they weren't too, as if some of them weren't really a very good idea. And we have to figure out ways of deciding about social institutions, whether they are good games or not. And that's quite difficult. When we contrast a Victorian family with a modern family, there are very different game rules are being played. And we have more or less decided today that they weren't playing very good game rules. If you contrast a book, for example, on child-rearing, written in, uh, say, 1860, with Dr. Spock. Well, Dr. Spock is post-Freud. And since Freud, ideas of child-rearing have altered quite radically. And also, one must not forget that Montessori and Froebel and all sorts of other people, and not to mention, um, what's his name, Summerhill, uh, come in between. Now, 
on what grounds will we say that the game in which a child is now educated at a reasonably progressive school is better than the kind of school I went to which was based on the game the fundamental game rule of this school is suffering builds character <laughs> And therefore, you could mistreat somebody out of compassion uh, that it is good for him. <laughs> now, you could say, well, uh, I've had many arguments with my father about this. My father's a really genuine philosopher and a uh, man with a very open mind. But he, he said once, uh, he said, think of any great man who ever came out of a co-educational school. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, it's the sort of question that you've never thought of and so you don't have any <laughs> ready answer but he, he was convinced you see that, that in a boy's life association with women uh, is weakening to the character and that's why boys are sent away to be in the company of men get them, get them out of those womanish ways and make them tough you see now, if you are playing society by that sort of game rule and you want men to be soldiers and uh, so they'll be happy with each other with no women around and you want to, to be explorers and all that sort of thing, then you will say that kind of education produces good results. But you see, we're living in a world where soldiers are becoming obsolete. Uh, they're just becoming a, a menace and a danger. And uh, we, we've got to be very careful that we only breed a few of them. Just like bees have these problems of how many of this type of worker and so on to breed. And uh, we have this as a very serious problem. And it's changing rapidly. It's changing so rapidly that we're in considerable doubt as to what kind of human characters are advantageous to have. Uh, you see, there are circumstances in which... Uh, people who simply conform and cooperate are a damn nuisance. Uh, because they don't get any new ideas. And what we needed was new ideas. And we needed people with the courage of their convictions. There are other circumstances where we've got enough ideas. And people with new ideas just make things complicated. <laughs> I have uh, a psychiatrist I met recently uh, on my travels uh, said, uh, I don't know if I'm going to come to your seminar. We'd had a conversation and got on rather amusingly. He said, it would be a terrible, terrible problem to me to get any new ideas. <laughs> he said, I would have to reorganize my entire operation. And it's going along pretty smoothly now. And, uh, I, you know, said, I have a hospital and I have many men under me working and uh, we've got a system going. If you give me new ideas, it's going to be awful. <laughs> so, the, the basic thing then is we are given a choice of roles and we are encouraged to be consistent in our roles through the novel and through drama and through all kinds of other means so that uh, people will be controllable so that they won't be too jumpy what is it that worries you about somebody who is insane see a friend of mine had a patient who, when he came into the outpatient department in the veterans' hospital every day, would have to sign himself in. 
and on the roster where you signed yourself in there was a place for your occupation well he changed his occupation every day and uh, one day when my friend received the card you know that he signed as he comes in he said oh I see you're the mailman today and he said yep and I'm married to a mailbag <laughs> well think of the meanings in that 